Good morning, everyone. Ah, yes, it is on, <laughs> and it's working. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me back. Now, last week when I was here, we spoke about um, finding joy in the darkness, and uh, we were looking at, um, at the two examples that we had last week, the Lord Jesus Christ himself and uh, Paul the Apostle. And this week we're going to look at uh, two more men who are found in the book of Philippians chapter 2 as well. And uh, when we were looking at uh, the examples of the Lord Jesus, it was um, he was the one who humbled himself and became a servant and was obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross and despised its shame. And uh, that's the example that we have there. When we're going through dark times, we don't understand sometimes what it is that's happening in our world. But if we can see the promise of what he has in store for us in heaven, we can't even begin to imagine what it's all about. But what he endured for us, as we've just celebrated that together with the uh, Lord's Supper this morning, it's just something that's beyond our comprehension. And so we need to be humble and we need to take the, the attitude of a servant like the Lord Jesus himself. And then we thought about Paul and how he uh, was considered himself as a, a, as a drink offering, poured out upon the, the sacrifice, evaporated up, and uh, what was left behind was the original sacrifice, and that's the Lord Jesus himself. And so Paul poured his life out in service for the people of his day and for us today, and we still have his words that we're going to read together this morning. <clears throat> Let's meet Timothy, and we read about Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, and we begin at verse 19. And it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out to their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because, as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Now remember the situation. Paul was in a prison in Rome, and he was under guard, and here he was thinking of the Philippian people, and he wanted to send a messenger of comfort to them, and he wanted to find someone, and so he was identified here, Timothy, and so who was Timothy? We need to ask that question. Who is Timothy? Well, he was Paul's young protege. And Paul was mentoring this young man and training him and preparing him for a life of service. Paul later on writes two letters to Timothy uh, and they're recorded in the scriptures for us. In verse 22, uh, Paul tells us that uh, he was like a son to him. He loved Timothy as a son. Now, the we don't know all the details of his life, but Paul and Timothy probably first met in Lystra, which is in modern-day Turkey. And it was there that Paul was stoned and left for dead. Now, when I say Paul was stoned, I don't mean that he was high on drugs or uh, out of his brain, but he was literally... Um, the, the people took big rocks and stones and the size of a fistful and they threw them at Paul and they kept throwing them at, at, at him until they thought he was dead. And Paul was left in that situation. Now was Timothy witness to that? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but he certainly knew about it. He would have been aware of the event because Timothy was known for his family. And he had a godly mother 
and grandmother. Acts chapter 16 verse 1 says that when Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Now, she was like a single parent spiritually. And this could be an encouragement to any of us who have walked that path. If you're a solo parent, look at the example of Timothy and how he came out. What an important job you have as a parent to bring up your children in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. Well, 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, Paul tells us a little bit more about Timothy. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now also lives in you. Sincere here means real. There's nothing faint or false about it. It was shining brightly. It was clearly evident to everybody who saw the lives of these two godly women. Today's Mother's Day. And Mother's Day is an important day to celebrate and to remember and give thanks to the Lord for our mothers and to thank them too for what they've done for us. Now I can't do that today because my mother passed away sadly a few years back. But we want to honour those who have given their lives as mothers to our children and to um, those other mothers who perhaps aren't a mother themselves but have uh, been like a, an auntie, a great aunt or whatever to um, our children. We had lots of them, didn't we, Elizabeth? We had lots of mothers that uh, acted in that role and they weren't mothers at all, but they were to our children. It was wonderful. They lived their lives with a faith that was clear for all to see. They were sincere and they were consistent in all that they did and they had a profound effect upon this young man called Timothy. Sadly, young people are living, leaving the church at an astounding rate for a variety of reasons and it's great to see so many young people here this morning. And uh, keep it up, young fellows. It's really important that you follow the Lord and keep trusting him. But how often is it that they leave because parents, um, they had parents that were once at church and yet they were different at home? I can fool you, but my kids know who I really am. My kids understand what makes me tick, what makes me explode. They know me in a way that you guys will never know. But you see, with Eunice and Lois, they were faithful and their light shone brightly. If, you, if your children see you patting me on the back after the sermon and then go home and you have roast preacher for lunch, it will have a great and a deep impact upon them. The lesson here is have your roast preacher in private, not in front of yours or other people's children. If they see you giving a testimony about how you love the church and then you miss services for any minor excuse that comes along, that will affect them. What we as adults allow in moderation, our kids will abuse in excess, whether it be a little foul language. What do you say when you hit your thumb with a hammer? What comes out of your mouth first? A little foul language, a little nudity, a little um, arguing, lying, booze, whatever it might be. They see that and they see that as a door to, uh, that's open to them. Well, Timothy saw in his home a real faith and he chose to follow it. 
I don't believe that Lois and Eunice were perfect, but they were sincere and they were consistent. 2 Timothy 3 verse 14 and 15, Paul goes on to say to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. From childhood he was taught the Bible in the home, and so he was saved at an early age. What an environment to grow up in. Somebody once said back then in Lystra, what happened in church today? Well, not a lot. There was just a little kid that got saved. No adults are saved? No, no, just a little kid. The kid called Timothy. Oh, well, this Timothy grew up to be Paul's right-hand man, and he actually took over from him later in. This is an illustration for a Baptist church. A preacher did a two-week revival series over a hundred years ago in, in Texas. Only one young man got saved, and the preacher felt like a failure because he'd been preaching this long series of sermons for two weeks, and only one convert was made. However, that convert was George W. Truett. Does that name mean anything to you guys? George W. Truett was an American Baptist and uh, he grew up and became a mighty pastor in the first Baptist church in Dallas where thousands of people came to know the Lord. Just one life changed can have an influence down through the ages that you can't imagine. Be faithful in what you do and how you serve the Lord, especially with your children. Timothy, he had a submissive mind. Verse 22 is the proof of this. He had the training of a servant. Paul wants Timothy to go to the church at Philippi and uh, Timothy needed to train and get experience and to grow in grace. In Luke 16 verse 10, the Lord Jesus himself said, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. So Timothy had a submissive mind. He took the little that he was given and he used it for the Lord. Timothy not only had a submissive mind, he had the heart of a servant. Philippians 2.21, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. What a sad statement. Paul is in prison and he's looking for someone to send back to the church at Philippi to take a message back to the people. There were many Christians in Rome by this point. He mentions at least 26 of them in the um, 16th chapter of Romans, but not one of them was willing to go. All look out for their own interests. Plenty could go, but they were too wrapped up in their own lives. It's like Paul was going through the church prayer list or the church membership list and he couldn't find the right person. Timothy had the servant's heart that was required to go and he cared for people. Do you care? One of our greatest needs is the next generation. Through the next room there at the moment, there is a group of people teaching the children what a harvest field they have got but to do this we need good faithful qualified Sunday school teachers to do the work who knows there may be another George Truett or Billy Graham being prepared for the next generation of the church amongst those little ones there they need to be carefully nurtured by you at home every day 
What sort of example are you providing for your little ones to grow in a prayerful environment as was provided by Lois and Eunice for Timothy so long ago? We go to Chester Street Bible Church over in the other side of the river and um, you'll have to excuse me for that but that's the background that I was brought up in. <coughs> but um, one of the things that I found as an elder over there was a number of the young mums that we talked to felt quite inadequate and uh, quite despondent because there was nothing important in the church for them to do. A little bit like what we were talking about earlier on this morning with the writing of that hymn, Just As I Am. But I was able to remind these young mums that as a mother, God had placed into their hands the little lives that they had for them to mould and to shape in the image of God. There can be no higher calling than being a mother to the children that the Lord has given you. There's no more important job than looking after those young ones and teaching them the spiritual truths of the scriptures, as Lois and Eunice did. Mothers, you have a really important job. And husbands, wives, I mean husbands of your wives, fathers of your children, you too need to support them in that role. Now Timothy's name is mentioned 24 times in the New Testament as he was willing to go here and there in the ministry. And in God's time, it was Timothy who was chosen to replace Paul, the apostle, when Paul was put to death. What an honour for Timothy. This young man, these two women, they, they taught him from an early age and he became a great man in the early church. As an assistant pastor for many years, he could have fought and clawed his way up to the top much more quickly than he did. But he had patience and he was a servant and he served with Paul and learnt from his feet. In Proverbs 25 verse 7a it says this, It's better for the king to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. You imagine going to a, a feast and the, you know, the Queen Elizabeth is going to be there as the, 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 yeah, the guest of honour and you go up and think, well, I'll sit next to her and um, you sit down there. You imagine what's going to happen to you. Someone's going to come up and knock you on the shoulder and say, hey, mate, down the back, that's where you belong. This seat belongs to someone else. It's better for you to be down the back, taking the back seat and then be invited to come up and sit next to her. That would be far more... Um, a far better thing to do. So let's be encouraged by Timothy's example. Just be faithful in all that you do and have the servant's heart that Timothy had. The second fellow that we want to meet this morning is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, we read about him in Philippians 2, 25 to 30. But I think it's necessary to send back to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed he was ill and almost died but God had mercy on him and not only on him, not on him only but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Isn't that interesting? The Apostle Paul got anxious about things. Do you get anxious about things? Yeah, we all do. The Apostle Paul did too and he wasn't afraid to say it and to acknowledge it. But anyway, I'm digressing. 
Verse 29 goes on to say, So then welcome Epaphroditus in the Lord with great joy and honour and honour people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. You see, joy, it comes from living for and serving others. Just as Jesus and Paul and Timothy did, so now we're looking at this guy called Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus means um, handsome or charming. It's quite a, quite a good name if you think about it that way, but it does have links back to Epaphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, the equivalent of the Roman goddess Venus, or if you go back to the Babylonian time, Asherah. So this means that in all likelihood Epaphroditus was a, a Gentile believer. Paul describes him in verse 25 as a brother, a fellow worker and a fellow soldier. As a brother, Paul enjoyed fellowship with uh, Epaphroditus and as a fellow worker, Epaphroditus was a companion in labour and in continuing Paul's work to spread the gospel in the city of Rome. And as a fellow soldier, Epaphroditus displayed great faith, contending as one for the faith of the gospel. In chapter 2, Epaphroditus is described by Paul in the following ways. Firstly, he was balanced. He was a balanced Christian, and this is a key to successful Christian living. Some believers and churches are imbalanced because they emphasize fellowship over evangelism or uh, social ministries, not soul ministries, or they um, emphasize um, numbers but don't disciple and teach them. And if we don't do that, we are failures. If we lose them out the back door as quickly as they come in, uh, we need to rethink things. Some emphasise defending the faith to the exclusion of both fellowship and furtherance. They split theological hairs and always seem to be on a crusade of some sort. Oh, there's that word, crusade again. Um, isn't it funny how things can change so quickly? It may be even for a good cause that they split hairs, but they go overboard about it. It's like they need a purpose. Well, we have a purpose. As Christians, we have a purpose, but we need to be balanced to achieve it. Yes, there is a time to defend the faith, especially in these days in which we live. But Epaphroditus was a balanced Christian, and we need to be balanced in our approach to things, to the way we share our message with the world that we live in. We need to be very careful and wise as servants, as the Bible says. Epaphroditus was burdened, verse 26 and 27 and verse 38, Epaphroditus was burdened not only physically but spiritually. He was burdened for Paul. He'd been a pastor in the Philippian church and when he heard that Paul was imprisoned in Rome, he volunteered to make the long dangerous trip to be by his side and to help him. He carried with him the love offering from the church in Philippi. He was there to help Paul. Remember in those days when you were put in jail, you had to find your own food. I mean, how are you supposed to do that when you're inside a prison? You can't get out and work, so you've got to have somebody on the outside helping and supporting you to provide the food that you need, the sustenance that you need. Very different to what it is today. So that's why he carried a love offering from the church at Philippi to Paul to help him while he was in prison. The next thing we learn about Epaphroditus was that he was sick and he almost died, verse 27. The text seems to indicate that the long journey caused or worsened an illness in him and it was 
for an extended and long duration. It was long enough for the church at Philippi to hear about it and to send word back that they had got the message because messages weren't sent over the cell phone like they are today. You couldn't just text somebody on the other side of the world like we can today. Somebody had to take that message all the way back from Rome to Philippi and it was a tremendous journey. So it went back and forth. So he was sick for quite a long time. So I'm going to take a little bit of time out here. Why do Christians get sick? Why did Paul tell Timothy to take his medicine when he had a stomach ache or stomach issues? Why not just heal him? There are many examples in the New Testament where people were healed and Paul was healed like when he put his hand into the, into the, the six and, and the snake bit him and everyone was amazed because it was a poisonous snake and it should have killed him. But he was healed instantly. But Erastus in Timothy, 2 Timothy 4 verse 20, it tells us that Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus ill in Miletus. Why didn't he heal him before he left? Paul himself was sick in Galatia. So why do Christians get sick? Well, sometimes it's a matter of poor health or lifestyle. We squander our health away when we don't take care of our bodies properly. Sometimes we don't treat them as the temple of God and they... As they, as they really are. Christians are subject to the same kinds of abuse as everybody else. Poor diet, lack of exercise, poor lifestyle choices, all of these things contribute to our sickness. We shouldn't squander our health away on cigarettes, overeating, ooh, sorry, um, <laughs> unhealthy eating, or oh, chocolate, oh. <laughs> Booze, the lack of exercise, well that's me isn't it, a lack of exercise. And then we get cancer or heart disease at a young age and we blame the devil because we got sick. No, it doesn't work that way. I love to drink coffee. Well, I loved, past tense now. I overindulged on a number of occasions and I enjoyed every sipper. You know, it had to be strong and black. It was just, oh. I can smell that and, I, and it just, oh, it does something for me. It just is. Um, but what I didn't know was at the time when I was drinking this strong black coffee that that's why I kept ending up in hospital all the time. I'd have to go into hospital and I'd be on a drip with morphine because it was affecting my kidneys. And it wasn't until I had a heart attack in 2004, 2004, and I was in Wellington Hospital and I had open heart surgery and I wanted a cup of coffee and they said to me, you shouldn't be drinking coffee in your condition. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, you've got kidney disease. You shouldn't be drinking coffee. That's the worst thing for it. And I had no idea. Well, if I was to go and drink coffee today, I'd be back in hospital tomorrow as well. Um, now, I know what the consequences are. So I can't blame that on the Lord or the devil, can I? I know that there's a consequence of doing something or putting something into my body that's going to have a certain result. So today I don't drink coffee. Actually, I don't drink any caffeine because I know what it does to my body. May I remind you that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and we should treat it as such and look after it. For you oldies, some years ago... New Zealand had a cricket captain called Jeff Howarth. Do you remember Jeff Howarth? Some might. Well, he used to do some ads on TV for, the, for Fresh Up and they'd have this can of Fresh Up juice and it would just 
be ice cold, you know, you could see the, the condensation on the outside of it. And he'd pick up this can and he'd rip the, top, the tab off the top of it, drink a big swig down and say, oh, it's got to be good for you. There's no way I'd put anything bad into my body. And then a short while later, you'd see while the cricket's being played and, and, and they would scan around and there was Jeff Howe sitting on the sideline watching while his team was batting. And there was a cigarette out of his mouth. Oh, man. It just ruined the whole effect of the, of the fresh up ads, didn't it? It jarred and it made a mockery of it. Well, the second reason that people might get sick is because of a lack of spiritual discipline. This was clearly the case in the Corinthian church. Where they were desecrating the Lord's table. They were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. And what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 30? That's why many among you are weak and ill, and a number of you have fallen asleep. He's talking to Christians here, and they got sick because of a problem of spiritual discipline. Sometimes people simply get sick. It's the third reason. That was Paul's case. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 5b to 10, it says this, I will not boast about myself except in my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul knew the reason for his physical sickness was to keep him humble and to teach him more about the grace of God. These verses were really special to me some years ago. For those who don't know me, I have a disease called polycystic kidney disease. It's a hereditary disease which is passed down from generation to generation. And when you go back through my family tree, the people that had it were all dead before they were 50. And uh, I'm 65 today, and um, I'm still here. But you see, 10 years ago, but over 10 years ago, my son, who lives in Wellington, and he goes to a big uh, uh, church in, in Lower Hutt called the Hope Centre, which is a Pentecostal church, and they believe in, um, in healing, and they have faith healers that come around and preach. And he said, Dad, you've got to come and see me. You've got to come to this church because we've got a guy who's healed people with kidney disease. And... Um, Anyway, this guy's name was um, Craig Marsh, yeah, and he was this, the nephew of a guy called Les Marsh. Now, Les Marsh was a guy that lived in Fielding, and he and his wife used to look after me when I was at boarding school years ago. So I thought, well, at least I'll go and meet this guy and talk to him, because he, he, he's got a good background somewhere along the line. And he, he looked at me and said, what's a brethren boy like you doing at a meeting like this? And um, I said, well... The reason is I'm here because I've got this kidney disease and I have been told by my son that I need to come and get prayed for and that I will be healed. So we went along to three of his healing meetings and I went forward for prayer and they prayed over me. And on the third occasion when I was there, it was like 
this light went off in my head. His voice was saying to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Um, no, where did I go? I've lost it now. Um, uh, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me and he said, my grace is sufficient for you. That came back to me like a, a, um, a message straight from the Lord. And so I went home with my wife and we prayed about it afterwards. We thought a lot about this and, well, the Lord said that I've got to be content in the situation that I'm in. Well, shortly after that, Stuart Hilton, who some of you may know, um, he offered me a, one of his kidneys. And so I said, well, if you're serious about this, you better go and, uh, and talk to the people in Palmerston North and uh, let them know. So he did that over a period of time. Um, they eventually uh, tested him and they found that his kidneys matched mine better than my sister's. And it was 10 years ago next month that I went down to Wellington with Stuart and uh, he gave me a kidney. And that's why I'm here with you today. I would have been dead long ago if it hadn't been for that wonderful gift. So you see, the Lord's grace is sufficient for us. And sometimes we are given um, an illness or a, a problem in our lives and it's there to keep us humble. And it's there to help us to recognise that in weakness, God's strength is revealed. And that was a wonderful gift that he gave me. The third, fourth, fourth reason I think it is, yeah, the fourth reason that we um, get sick is because we live in a sin-cursed world. Without trying to oversimplify matters, many an illness comes from the sinful curse on this planet. Epaphroditus was very sick. He almost died. Um, other reasons, there are many other reasons that people get sick. I mean, it could be as a result of an accident. And I've had one of those and uh, that's why I limped today. I was only 17 years old and I got hit by a car and uh, my right foot is badly crushed. I'd never make a priest in the Old Testament days. They had to have a perfect right foot, a right toe, and I haven't got a right toe. So, um, you know, I'd be in real trouble. I'd be disqualified there from the start. Sometimes it's because of the environment that we live in, work in. You know, years ago, they didn't know anything about asbestosis, and uh, people were happily nailing up this and putting flooring down with asbestos in it. And then, you know, years later... Men got sick. Women got sick because they were exposed to the asbestos. Yeah, the coal miners that worked in the mines, they got very sick because of the, what they were breathing in the coal dust all the time. Sometimes it's the environment that causes us to be sick. Sometimes it's an accident. But anyway, whatever, we do get sick. And we need to trust the Lord through those times of illness. Epaphroditus was very sick. Paul says in verse 26 that he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died, but God had mercy on him. It broke Paul's heart and it broke Epaphroditus' heart to know that the Philippian church was worried about Epaphroditus. So not only was he burdened and balanced, he was bold. Epaphroditus moved next door to death in order to do God's work. Our character is what keeps us going in those dark times when sickness strikes us down. Let's go hard until we cross the finish line. Epaphroditus was not only balanced and burdened and bold, he was blessed. Verse 28 and 29, Paul exhorts the Philippians to welcome him 
in the Lord with great joy, but to especially honour him and other people like him. God gets the glory. But it's appropriate to treat the man of God with honour and double honour, he says later on. So in conclusion, and I see our time is gone, the chapter is complete. It's all about having a submissive heart, a submissive mind, living for others, serving them and submitting to the authority of one another. Last time we considered the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus and Paul. This week we've looked at Timothy and Epaphroditus to see how their joy was made complete by following the Lord in humility. Paul sacrificed himself as a drink offering. Timothy served faithfully and Epaphroditus was willing to lay down his life for the sake of the gospel. I think verses 3 3 to 5 of this chapter sum it all up for us. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. May the Lord have his blessings to these thoughts from his word and bless you all. Thank you.